Welcome to Co-op Energy Talk. I'm Rachel Johnson, the Member Relations Manager here at Cherryland Electric Cooperative. And today we're going to keep it real simple. So joining me is Tony Anderson, our General Manager. Good afternoon, once again. And we have no guests. And our, no, no guests. It's just Tony and I here at uh, Cherryland Studios. And uh, what we want to talk about is the rate change that our board approved at their October meeting. And we've been talking about the fact that we saw rate change coming for most of this year. But uh, just in case this is new to you, here's exactly what they approved. Sometime in 2018, probably in second quarter, this rate uh, change will go into effect. And what is going to happen at that time is our availability charge, the monthly charge that you pay regardless of how much electricity you use, for residential members is going to increase by $3. So it's going to move from $15 to $18. We are also going to see a $2 increase on our general service availability charge. So this would be the meter charge for our members who are small commercial or maybe who have a pole barn, um, that kind of thing. And then we're going to take two volumetric charges on the bill, the energy charge and the uh, power supply cost recovery or PSCR charge and combine them into the energy charge. So that will be a revenue neutral change, but it will mean that members will no longer be paying two volumetric charges and the PSCR will be set to zero. So that's what the board approved. Put it as simply as possible for most of our residential members, they're gonna see a $3 a month increase sometime in 2018. True. And the first logical question is, why aren't we increasing large commercial customers? And the simple fact is we did a cost of service study and our large commercial customers have been paying their way for some time, and these other two rate classes haven't. So get that simple question out of the way first. Yep. It was probably on the end of your list, but. <laughs> well, and, and so as we've, as we've talked through this and prepared for our rate increase, we've held several uh, member meetings to explain to our members what was going on. We also had a, a, f- a fairly robust discussion of what we were proposing on our blog. And then um, we've made ourselves available to any members who wanted us to come and talk to their group, talk to their neighborhood. We didn't really have anyone take us up on that. But those are the ways we've tried to educate our members on what was going on. And through that process, we kind of started to see a trend in what were the most common questions we were getting. So we thought it would make sense to sit down in a podcast and just talk through those questions and the answers um, for those of you that maybe couldn't make it to a meeting or who don't blog, which I don't blog, so it's cool. Um, but, but, but before we get into that, I think it's important to contextualize kind of where our rates are and what, and what, we're, what, what led us to this point. We have not raised our rates in seven years. July of 2011. And during that same period of time, we've been making significant investment in infrastructure. Three to five million a year. Yep. And obviously the cost of um, materials and all those things have gone up for us, just like everyone else has been impacted by inflation. We've been able to control our costs really well over those seven years. But there comes a point when you can't cut anymore without having significant negative impact on your reliability. That, That is true. And so um, what our financial forecasts were telling us is that as of 2018, our margins would be negative or or flat, and that we had to increase our revenue in order to continue to invest in our system and and provide our members power. And so with that information, the timing was right for us to make this increase, and then it just became a question of how how we were going to do that. And that's where a lot of the questions on the blog, I think, come in. Do you have anything you want to add to that piece? No, just in... uh... It's kind of open-ended. We say first quarter of 2018, most likely second quarter of 2018. That's going to be a little weather-dependent, a little bit on how we wrap up 2017, and then a little bit on 
where we see uh, Wolverine's power costs going. That's why we don't have a specific date today on when this rate increase will take effect. We know it'll be 2018, but we're trying to push it out as far as we can. And thus, uh, we, we need some more information before we can pick a date. Yep. And obviously, and well, maybe this isn't obvious, but as a co-op, like our, we're always trying to do this to do rate making in the way that is fairest to our membership. So it's not our goal to overinflate our revenue in any way. And so if we can push this off a quarter, we will, because that's the right thing to do for our membership. Absolutely. So let's let's dig in. One of the things that I noticed on on the blog and in conversation with members, there's a lot of questions about kind of what is the availability charge and why why should a member even have to pay an availability charge? Well, that's pretty simple. It just means that uh, what is the cost of making electricity available? Before you ever use one kilowatt hour of energy, what does it cost to have substations, transformers, poles, and wires ready so you can turn your lights on at the flip of the switch? And thus, that's the availability charge, the cost of making electricity available to you at a moment's notice. And our cost of service study, it's quite extensive. Um, it determined that that cost for a residential customer was almost $28 a month. We're currently at 15. In no way did we want to go from 15 to 28. We only need $1.2 million in revenue. So we're just seeking uh, $1.2 million in revenue, and that's what $3 and $2 gets us. And one thing that I didn't know before I came to work for the utility, but um, had we gone straight to 28, that would have then meant our energy charge went down. So there's two kind of charges that balance one another out in terms of the whole revenue package, and that's the availability charge and the energy charge. So we're we're not really doing much with the energy charge at this time. We're just putting, we're pushing up the availability charge. But had we taken the availability charge all the way to $28, the energy charge would have gone down. Yeah, that's true cost of service rates. If we go to 28, drop the energy charge to what it is, we would have a true cost of service rate. What we have now is a hybrid. We're, we have a little, most of our cost of service in the availability charge, but we do have some of our fixed costs that those costs to make power available wrapped into the energy charge. And that's uh, just evolved over time, over decades. And we, we've just never wanted to make that jump from 15 to 28. Well, and and so then the other thing that I I think people ask a lot is why is our availability charge so much higher than, for example, Traverse City Light and Power's availability charge? Yeah, that that's an easy answer. Cherryland has 11 meters per mile of line. Uh, a city like Traverse City is going to have 35 to 50 in more populated areas. Uh, consumers Energy in it, its cities like Jackson and uh, Sutton's Bay, and uh, high populated places, they're going to have the same. They're going to have 35 to 50 meters per mile. And we don't get that. We get 11 meters per mile uh, across the Cherryland service territory. We cover 1,400 square miles, 35,000 meters, 3,000 miles a line, and we have 11 meters per mile. And we can generate more revenue off that mile a line. We just don't have more people there to sell meters to. Mm-hmm. So they so. They have to pay one eleventh of the cost of mm-hmm. everything that goes into that mile of line, and in the city, someone might only have to pay one thirtieth of the cost right. that goes into yeah. that. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of difference between a mile of line in the city and a mile of line in the country when you're looking at overhead line, and so it's just a, it's location. It's like selling real estate: location, location, location. There's nobody in Brethren, but there's a lot of people on Front Street in Traverse City. 
So two different costs. So the um, the real crux, and this came out time after time in the blog, is that a lot of our members seem to want to see us bring the availability charge down even in order to push the cost of energy, the, the volumetric energy charge up, in order to incentivize conservation. So not having anything to do with our costs, but it, it's a... Um, yeah, if I'm an individual who wants to conserve energy and use very little, I naturally want to push the price to those people who use a lot of energy, and that reduces my cost. And it, it's simply not fair. When, when we're talking about moving towards better cost of service rates, we all have to pay our fair share of what it takes to have electricity available at the flip of a switch. I'm going to wear that out by the time we're done here. <laughs> but it's all about fairness. And whether you use 1,000 kilowatt hours or 200 kilowatt hours, it costs 28 bucks a month to have power available to you. So I, we can transfer that cost to people who use more electricity, but it simply would not be fair to them. It's interesting, too, because sometimes I think the same crowd that might want to see us use our rates in order to incentivize cons conservation also really wants to see more distributed uh, renewable generation on our system feed, feeding into the system at multiple points. And I would sure. argue that the only way that ever works is if the availability charge is right-sized. Because until we get to a point where everyone is essentially paying a, a grid fee, and that truly captures all of the costs that go into having that grid, we really can't allow, we can't ever be whole in that system where some people are feeding in and other people are pulling out at different times. Right. The, the, the market's driving us to more cost of service-based rates. When, when you put solar panels on your house, windmill in your backyard, or you conserve a bunch of energy, I still have to maintain my system. I still have costs. And when I don't know what my variable sales are going to be, you're driving me to a fixed cost with, where I can predict what my costs are going to be so we can be viable and not have the, the ups and downs and the swings. Um, so absolutely, the today's market, today's consumer has a tendency to drive us towards higher and higher availability charges just so we can have our costs and we're not reliant on the when the wind's blowing or the wind's not blowing. Mm -hmm. um, so you talked about this already and kind of why we aren't touching large uh, commercial and industrial members, but one of the questions we got in one of the meetings we held is why is there a $3 increase on residential members versus only a $2 increase on general service? And why not spread that around more? Or, you know, maybe a, a grocery store, can't they just pay $5 more and we can save residential members uh, yeah. less of an increase? Yeah. Again, it goes back to the term cost of service. What does it cost us to serve the residential rate class? What does it cost us to serve the small commercial rate class? And that's what it boils down to. So, Certainly, I could I could charge small commercial ten dollars more a month and drop my residential rate, but that's just simply not fair because that's not the what it costs us to serve that rate class. And as a not for profit utility, that's what we're trying to drive for is to be as fair as possible. Works for me, <laughs> except for I have two meters, so I <laughs> I'm one of the unlucky few who's going to get the residential and the general service increase, but still such a small amount of money a month for me at least yeah and, and i'm uh, lucky to be able to say that and we got that from a number of people well i've got a meter on my pole barn and a meter on my house and when our availability charge was two dollars a month years ago 
they were kind of incentivized to, well, I don't want to string any more wire in my yard, so let's just put on two meters. What a, a number of those people are doing in certain situations, you can combine two meters into one. It, it certainly depends on your location of your pole barn to your house and and that type of stuff. But I'd encourage you to call Cherryland, have an engineer come out. We can do an analysis for free. You know, I have a pole barn at my house too. It's close to my house, so I originally just put on one meter. And there's a lot of options when it comes to electricity. You just might cost you a little more up front, but over over several years you might pay for that that change too to remove that one meter. Yeah, and, and shameless plug here. Anytime you want to do anything, give us a call. We might be able to help you out as it pertains to your electricity. One of the things that always surprises me is how many members don't see us as a resource, but we, we are here to be a resource. We even have someone on staff full-time who can help you figure out how to save money by using less energy without having to make huge investments just by coming yeah. in and doing an analysis of your home. So we have a lot of ways to help members yeah, out. Probably the only business in town that has an employee whose sole job is to sell less of our product. Yeah. <laughs> that, not something you find at other businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and this didn't come up very much, and I think it's a testament to uh, that we have done a good job, but we did have a few people who asked, why can't you just cut costs? In other words, you know, if you're, you know, it's either revenue or expenses. Let's cut expenses instead of adding revenue. Yeah, and that, that one I get a little exasperated with, and maybe that's not fair, but I've, I get that question a lot. Well, why don't you just cut costs? Well, it's July of 2011, and we haven't raised our rates. And Cherryland is, is either one or two in the nation on an annual basis. We, we have 144 key ratios that our, our banker looks at, and we're one or two in the nation every year on meters per employee. That's the best sign of efficiency we have when we compare ourselves to other co-ops across the country. We serve over 630 meters per employee at Cherryland. And, uh, and the average just, is like 300 and yeah, some yeah, meters per employee? Yeah, it's three or 400. We're, we're way over the average. So, yeah, we, we try to cut costs, and you can walk around and say, well, don't advertise here, don't have such nice trucks. The, on a $50 million basis... Those are very tiny changes. When we, you talk about cutting costs to affect a rate increase at $1.2 million, you're talking big increases, big, big savings. And we just struggle to find those after a seven-year period mm-hmm. when all our costs have gone up. Well, and, and I think oftentimes, could we, could we do that? Yeah, we could. We could stop our tree trimming program. Oh. Or we could, um, instead of main, doing a rebuild of 25 miles a line every year, we could do a rebuild of 10 miles of line every year. But there would be a significant um, cost yeah. to our members in terms of reliability of that decision. I don't remember if I said this at the beginning, but all that money that we've invested in our system in the last six, seven years has brought our average outage duration time per year down from over 200 minutes to about 75 minutes. Yeah. That that. And I hear that from our members. You know, they, their lights are on and they're happy, and they're not going to be happy if the lights are off. So there's a cost to that. That's the two biggest things you hear is keep my lights on and keep my rates down. Well, there comes a point where those two intersect, and they don't aren't necessarily compatible over a period of time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I could save $1.2 million next year by doing zero tree trimming. But I would pay for that the year after and years after that as we try to catch up. 
Mm-hmm. So we, we just choose not to play catch up and not to play those games and be consistent with our tree trimming and consistent with our rebuilding of our system so we can maintain reliability and maintain level rates. And so uh, I'm very proud that it's been July of 2011 since our last, last rate increase. Yeah, and it's a, I hadn't thought of this until you just said it, but I do think there's a lot of value, too, in the predictability of our rates. Even even this, going from $15 to $18 with a with a eight months of notice, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, not, not, to, not that yeah. it doesn't mean it won't impact people, but there's time to plan for it, and it's not, and it's going to be a set amount that they can plan for, and there's something to be said for that. Yeah, for the member who's watching his bill every month, he knows his costs are going to go up. $36 next year. If he wants to save some money, he has to look at his energy use and maybe he can cut back on what what he's using. But certainly it's, it's within control of the member and they won't be surprised. So the um, we've talked a lot about the availability charge and certainly that was where the bulk of our questions came from. But I do want to talk about the power supply cost recovery mechanism that we're going to put to zero yeah. and kind of talk through what, why we're doing that and also how power supply kind of overall fits into our rates. Sure. Um, the power supply cost recovery charge, it's been a mechanism we've used for years to balance our, our power supply budget. 70 cents of every dollar we spend goes to Wolverine Power Cooperative. And when that power cost goes up or down over budget, we need to balance that so it doesn't eat into the 30 cents um, that I use to operate the system, pay wages, buy trucks, buy poles, handle outages. So that power supply cost recovery charge has been that balancing mechanism. But what we found over the last couple of years is Wolverine's rates have remained stable. And we haven't had to change that number. It's just stayed flat for, I think, almost two years now. And so we've just decided to roll that number in because we believe that it's going to stay flat uh, into the future for at least the next couple of years. And so rather than... uh, Charge the energy charge A plus the energy charge B, the PSCR equaling X. We're going to make A and B together. We're going to put them in one lump sum. So we're not playing games with you and, and, and showing a charge that never changes and blaming that on the power supply or something other. We're, we're going to drive the PSCR to zero. And so it's, it's a revenue neutral. It, it just it's a more realistic picture of what we're doing. When a cost doesn't change for a number of years, we need to put them together. Could the PSCR come back in the future? Absolutely. At some point, when a Wolverine uh, has changes and we, we miss a budget or miss a prediction, we will use that mechanism again. And I'm a little nervous about taking it to zero and then trying to explain what happens when it comes back. But at the same time, I think it's the right thing to do because it is truly the energy charge, and it's what the energy charge has been for a couple of years now. We've just called it two different names. And I th- the one thing, I, and I agree with you, you know, obviously it's concerning to think about having to bring it back in the future if we've made the case for why we don't need it right now. But the thing that's kind of cool to me right now is the kind of the optics of having that go to zero is such a testament to the work that Wolverine has done mm-hmm. on our members' behalf. And we as a utility are in a very different place than a lot of other utilities in the state of Michigan because we do have 
fairly flat power supply costs predicted for a, a somewhat significant amount of time at a time when, and we've locked in capacity, yep. we have a solid renewable portfolio, we've made smart investments. And, and in some ways, it's a success that we're able to take that power supply cost recovery rate. It, it very much. Wolverine's done a great job over the last several years of settling in their power supply portfolio with a d- diverse mix of renewable and, and fossil fuels. And we've added a, a ton of renewables without raising our, our rates as well. And so, yeah, I, I don't know how to say it any, any better than that. It's The PSCR going to zero is a big deal for us because it, it shows that we have some stability in our wholesale power supply. And that stability we, we haven't had years ago. Yeah, and one of the things that came out in the questions, um, both from a positive and a negative, is people want to know, well, how are renewables impacting this? Are you not doing enough with renewables? And if you did, could you save more money? Or are you doing too much with renewables? And if you did less, you could save more money. But I think what we have is just a really balanced power supply that's allowing us to realize a lot of different cost savings in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and, and it's important for people to remember that this rate increase, this $3 and $2, is not, it doesn't have anything to do with power supply. So when you say, well, nuclear raised uh, raised our rates or renewables raised our rates, n- none of them did because that's in our wholesale power supply costs. The $3 and the $2 is all about distribution costs. That's all about local costs, what it costs to uh, pay our employees and buy our trucks and poles and wires. Two different cost components that are, well, they're, they're related, but they're not affecting each other in this case. Um, so one of the, I'm going to move on and talk about member reg, unless you have something else you want to talk about. No, I'm waiting for a member reg. It's riveting. It is. So this was just a really interesting comment on the blog. After all the back and forth with a a lot of people saying, oh, I really just think you should do it all in the energy charge so that it incentivizes people to conserve. And you made the case for fairness. And one member said, well, I think you should put it to a vote of the membership to Two options. How do you want to do rates? Mm-hmm. All energy or all availability charge? But what's interesting is it, it in my opinion, has already gone to a vote of the membership because, of mem- because we're member regulated. Do you want to talk through how that process works? Well, we were regulated by the Michigan Public Service Commission since the mid-60s until 2009 when we had the opportunity to vote ourselves out of Public Service Commission regulation. The board did that in 2009. We were the first co-op in the state to become member, what we call member regulated. And that means that our board determines our rates and our members can determine our rates. We're, we're required to have public meetings before a rate increase so we can get input before the board votes. And when you talk about the, the members uh, voting on a rate increase, they do because they elect our board. And they provide input to our board before the board decides on their rates. So I, I think we do have our members voting on every rate increase because we, we're the only utility in town that has a, a board elected by the members it serves. Mm-hmm. And, and so when, and, I mean, in addition to being elected to represent you, when our board members are voting for a rate increase, they're increasing their own rates Absolutely. as well. And so they... Mm-hmm. They get it. They have a stake in it, and they're going to feel the impact just like every other member. Yep. Every one of the board members is a residential member. Mm-hmm. Um, how do Cherryland's rates in general compare to other utilities? They compare really well. If they, they haven't in, always. If you go back 14 years, 15 years, we were 
20% higher than consumers' energy. Now you, you go to that 2002-2003 period and start to move forward, and we've slowly caught up to consumers and then passed them. Today, before the increase at 500 kilowatt hours, we're probably 5 to 6% lower than consumers' energy. And at 1,000 kilowatt hours, we're closer to 15 16%. That, that's a swing of over 30% in a decade and a half. We've improved our rates and our reliability at the same time. After this uh, increase, we're going to be dead even with consumers at 500 kilowatt hours, and we're going to be around 8 10% lower than consumers at 1,000 kilowatt hours. You get over 1,000, uh, and th- we're going to be 15 to 20% lower depending on how much you use. So very proud of how our rates compare to the biggest investor-owned utility in northern Michigan. Now, Traverse City Light and Power is another deal. Uh, their residential rates are 30% cheaper than ours. We just can't compete with 30, 40 meters per mile, and uh, they run an efficient operation as well. Uh, on the commercial side, we compete very well with them, but we just can't get there on the residential side due to the volume. Um, so those are our, our two biggest competitors. If you look at all the co-ops in the state, there's nine co-ops, including Cherryland, so the eight other co-ops. Today, well, we have the lowest rates out of those nine cooperatives. After this rate increase, we'll be third by just a little bit. Uh, so Less, like 50 cents, but like it's a very small amount. Yeah, it's a small amount, but we, we won't be number one any longer un- until couple other co-ops raise their rates, which could happen before we raise ours. So it's, it's back and forth. But apples to apples, it's tough to come by because everybody's service territory is so much different. But well, but we do pay attention to those things, and we absolutely. do try to stay in line with. Yeah. when I, I get a little fired up when people say, well, you're higher than consumers. Well, th- that's a reputation we had 15 years ago. That, that reputation doesn't apply. So you need to do your math. And I, I invite anybody to bring me a consumer's energy bill or a Traverse City Light and Power bill or a, even a DTE energy bill from downstate, and I'm happy to sit down and compare rates with anybody anytime because uh, we compare very favorably. Well, and, and I know that this is really about this rate change and about our residential rates mostly, but I'm really proud of the fact that we have some of the cheapest rates for commercial um, members or customers who are comparing to other utilities Mm -hmm. in our region because I think that has a tremendous economic impact on attracting businesses into our area and hopefully into the rural parts of our area of our community where there's good land and yep it it absolutely goes back to fairness we try to be fair to every rate class not every utility does that Uh, some utilities like uh, other customers to subsidize different rate classes and we're not here to get into that but there, there's there's no wrong way to do rates, but there's different philosophies of doing rates. And uh, we just believe in fairness and the cost of service model. And uh, the board does, and I do, and I'm, I'm very proud of that. So one other thing that came up um, in both one of the meetings we had and also on the blog, and I know we don't have a ton of time to go into it, but why don't we do time of use or time of day rates? And this is something we've been hearing independent of our rate increase <laughs> quite a bit of chatter about is yep. why yeah. why not charge different prices at different times of the day in order to incentivize people to use power off of your peak? Yep, that's the biggest question I get. When, when are you going to give me time of use rates? When are you going to incentivize me to, to get off your peak? 
And we actually, in a couple weeks, well, it's next week as a matter of fact, we have a meeting with Wolverine to sit down and talk about that very thing. One of the problems we have with time of use rates is we don't have a signal from our power supplier. Wolverine has extra capacity. That means they have more generation than we have load for. So when we hit a peak, we still have generation to meet that peak. So we're less incentivized to to get people off that peak. And they also have a rate that there's a time period in July that more than half of our demand charge is for just that one peak day in July when the entire Midwest grid uh, peaks. So we, it all goes down to how do I develop a rate that fits our power supply charges and how do I make that fit our residential usage? And uh, we haven't cracked that nut yet, but it's something we got to we have to look at. And at the same time, we have to uh, make it simple. I, I was looking at some rates in California, and they have five tiers to a time of use rate. There's five different times a day where you get five different charges for electricity. And that's not simple. Will it incentivize conservation? Absolutely. Will it help people get off our peak? Yeah. Will it be something you can understand? Not very easily. So we're we're in a conundrum of how do we keep it simple and yet how do we match it up with our power supply? We have a very different power supply um, portfolio than they do in, in California. But it's, it's, conservation is hot and sexy right now. Everybody wants to save energy, and I get that, and they think time of use can do it. But um, people will have to make lifestyle changes. When you come home from work, you're going to have to decide if you want to wash dishes and wash clothes after 8 p.m. Some of us like to have our feet up and getting ready to go to bed by 9 p.m. and not doing household chores. Other people, they're going to be all for it. So it's... It's how do we balance? You can throw it in the wash when you get up to go for your run at 4 o'clock in the morning, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I, I really don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm trying to get out the door and get back. <laughs> yeah. But, no, And I think it's – and again, and we probably will do a whole – we could do a whole podcast on time of use rates, but – And we may in the future because they're – there's a lot to them. There is. And a thing that I think a lot of people who haven't lived somewhere that has time of use rates underestimate is the complexity. It, it can be very challenging for a consumer to, one, figure out which rate makes the most sense mm-hmm. for them, and then, two, manage that rate in a way that they actually get to capture the savings as opposed to being in a situation where they're probably paying right. more than they would have under a, a more f- flat volume rate that's the same regardless of the time of day. It doesn't mean you can't do time of use well. It's just much more complicated yep. and, and and while we have people asking for it, I don't have a feel that it's a large volume. It's just a, a hot topic with the people who like to conserve energy. And again, nothing wrong with conserving energy, but we have to make it simple and we have to have a volume of people use it so it's effective. I don't want to spend thousands of dollars on a rate that 10 people use or 100 people use even. i got to develop a rate that I can get a thousands, thousands and thousands of people to use. So it can have some serious impact. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else? Do I have anything else? Before we get to that. I'm looking at my list. Oh, yeah. One guy said, can you find other ways to generate revenue? Ooh. And I'm like, not if I want to stay in the electricity business. Because <laughs> when you look at your bill, you've got an availability charge and you've got an energy charge. If you're a commercial customer, you've got availability, energy, and demand. 
those are the ways I have to generate revenue because I, I don't sell widgets. I, I can't make a new widget. It's all about electricity. So for me to generate more revenue, I need to increase my sales. So how, when we can talk about conservation and time of use, but really what I need to do is how do I get you to use more? How do I get you to leave a light on for me? Because <laughs> if I can sell more energy, I can keep my rates down longer. You know, that's some of the reason our rates have remained stable for so many years over the last decade is we have some growth here that we don't see in other parts of Michigan. So how do I keep that growth going and how do I uh, make you use more energy? That's going to freak some people out who just want to save energy and, and, and all of that. But if you want me to generate more revenue, I have to generate more sales. So how do I do that? I have a perfect solution electrify all the vehicles. I'm, I'm good with that. This is, my, this is what I want to see happen. Plug in the cars. Plug in the cars. After, after 8 yeah. p.m. <laughs> after 8 p.m. That's, that's an easy one to do time of use on because you can just program that. Yep. Come home from work, plug your car on, and then it'll start charging at 8 p.m. That's easy. Um, yeah. No. But we got to get the price of those electric cars down so everybody can afford them. And then in northern Michigan, we, we could use some all-wheel drive electric cars, and I'm not sure they're there quite yet. Um, the Tesla Model Tesla, is X, it, yes. Is it all-wheel drive? It is, yes. Well. I mean, it's maybe a little outside of our price range, but the, I, I don't know. know I the, know it is mine. I don't know, know about you. But. <laughs> I don't know if the Model 3 is or not. Um, but anyway, yeah, it, it, either way, that probably won't happen in time to change the need for a rate mm. increase in 2018. But yep. in the long run... There's potential there, I think. Absolutely. But we're, at the end of the day, we're an electric utility. We used to be in propane. We used to be in internet, you know, a decade ago. And we today are just an electric utility. Well, what about broadband? Well, that's another podcast. <laughs> and on that note, uh, if just a, if any of you out there listening have questions or um, feedback or comments, we are still available to talk to you about this rate change and happy to answer any questions you have. Feel free to get a hold of us using the contact information on the website. And with that, let's kick it over to Fun Facts. Did you bring a fun fact? I did. I, uh, there's a first of its kind in Michigan. It's called the High Five Co-op Brewery. It's a, a brew pub that is formed as a, as a co-op. They don't have a facility as yet. It's a grassroots effort to, to uh, create Michigan's first ever co-op brewery. And they, it started in 2011. They have 103 member owners. It's based in Grand Rapids. They're taking investors currently. You can go to High Five Co-op Brewery and you can invest today from 500 to 5,000, whatever you need to invest. They've had 13 different beer collaborations with other uh, breweries across the state, but as of yet, they don't have a building, but they have 53 members, so craft beer and co-ops. I invest in beer every both, Friday night. They're both hot again. Cool. Okay, mine's not nearly as fun as that, but it is uh, apropos of a conversation about rates. Combined, all of the electric co-ops in the country own and maintain 42% of the electric distribution infrastructure in the nation, and they only sell 11% of the total electricity used in the U.S. each year. And that, my friend, is why our availability charge will always be higher. Yep, a lot of wires going to nowhere. Yep. But yep. that's our job. That's our job, and we like doing it. So uh, on that note, thanks for sitting down with me to talk about rates. Great. Thanks for being here. Thanks.